What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. We're going to take one final look back at the Packers' thrilling 30-27 to victory over the Bears, but first... I would like to remind you to check out the rest of the great Locked On Podcast Network, which includes Locked On NFL, Locked On Fantasy, and Locked On Vikings to get you ready for Saturday's game. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and the Android app, and please check out my work over at PackerReport.com. Not only do you get my exclusive content, but Packer Report members receive 10% discounts on tickets through Ticketmonster and 10% discounts on gear through a shop at Fanatics, plus new or renewing annual members get Sports Illustrated. I this guy, he bought a, a Pack Report membership back in the beginning of the year. He's gone to every game. He's saved more than $1,000 on tickets. Sometimes he buys two, sometimes he buys four, but more than $1,000 on tickets. And what better way than to celebrate Christmas than to get, you know, your brother, your spouse, um, friends, Tickets to Packers Vikings on Saturday at Lambeau. And you know what? You save a lot of money by doing that over at Packer Report. All right, second down will be a look at the offense against Chicago. Third down the defense, fourth down special teams. But first is first down and the playoff picture. And Green Bay, as you know, now controls their destiny in the NFC North. All they have to do, and I see all with uh, quotation marks, is it won't be easy, but all they have to do is beat Minnesota at home on Saturday and then go to Detroit. It went on Sunday. If they do that, they win the NFC North. As it stands right now, Green Bay has moved up to sixth place in the NFC. Remember last week, they didn't get any help at all. All the, all the teams that the Packers needed to lose, they all won. Well, this week, everybody that needed to lose did lose. Tampa Bay lost to Dallas. Minnesota got creamed by Indy. Washington lost last night to Carolina. So here's the playoff picture. The Giants own the fifth spot, the, the, the number one wild card spot slash the number five seed. Green Bay is number six. Green Bay is eight and six. So is Tampa. The first tiebreaker is head-to-head. They didn't play each other. Of course, we, we went over this last week, but I'm going to go over it again. The number two tiebreaker, common games. Um, Green Bay and Tampa Bay have played, or they are three and two in those games. Next tiebreaker is strength of victory. And of their combined, or each team has won eight games. And of those eight victories, those opponents have each won 49. So it's a tie there. So then he goes to the next tiebreaker, which is strength of schedule. And Green Bay has that. Green Bay's 14 opponents have won 99 games. Tampa Bay's 14 opponents have won 98. So it's a very slim margin. Now I think Green Bay clinches a playoff berth if they win. On Saturday against the Vikings, and if Tampa Bay loses at New Orleans, 
And if Washington loses at Chicago, now that seems pretty far fetched. I I would think Tampa, I would think Tampa wins, and maybe and maybe Washington wins that game too. I it's hard to see them both losing, but it's possible. But you know, you know, like I wrote, I wrote a story about this at, at Pack Report yesterday. Let's not worry about wild card stuff, right? The, Green Bay is going to have to win games to get into the playoffs. I mean, you, you can't count on losing one of these games or getting some help. You can't count on that. You've got to win games. And if you win games, you're in the playoffs as the division champion, and that will get you the number four seed at the worst. On Monday, we only talked to Coach Mike McCarthy. Usually on Monday, we talk to uh, McCarthy. We get locker room time with the players, and we talk to the assist- or the, uh, the coordinators. But with the short week, we uh, only got McCarthy. But quarterback Aaron Rodgers did speak to Adam Shine on Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio on Monday. Wide range of topics, including his calf, which he says is going to be fine. And he has a feeling that this Minnesota game, he'll be playing without, quote, inhibitions. So he seems pretty optimistic that he's kind of cleared a hurdle there. And as he was evident to all of us watching the game, he... he he moved better in the second half than he did the first. Um, like I said, Ryder spoke on a bunch of stuff, including paying college athletes, the run the table comment, and I, and I thought I thought this this is a pretty good comment to to Adam Shine. He, Shine asked him why he made why he had the belief after a four game losing streak. And here's what Ryder said: I think sometimes you just have a feeling, and also you need to have a little faith as well. When you continue that feeling. Or excuse me, when you combine that feeling and that faith in your teammates and the process and your leadership, sometimes it's necessary to say something like that. It has to come from an authentic place, and you have to believe what you're saying. So I thought that was a pretty good answer. And he also talked about, you know, all the all the negativity around the team, and also mentioned that the difference he's asked the difference between the the four game losing streak to the four game winning streak is, you know, they're they're just playing better and and they're and they're uh basically getting things done and Ryan Rogers said after that Washington game and some of those other games in that losing streak, they needed to learn how to win, which seemed like a strange comment based on you know the, the Packers had gone to playoffs seven straight years, but there's so many new players and every new every year's a new year, as Mike McCarthy likes to say, that you just need to learn how to win. And he said to that point, they hadn't learned how to win, and they have done. They have made those plays, and they've learned how to win the last four weeks. And and certainly that was evident on Sunday against Chicago, where you know the, obviously the weather was terrible, uh, temperature wise. They got to a hard start, hot start, faded, dominated the third quarter, fell apart in the fourth, but then made the two key plays necessary to win the game. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. All right, second down, and look at the offense. And I still find fascinating the decision by Mike McCarthy at the end of the game. It's third and eleven. The clock has stopped with forty-six seconds to go when Lane, when guard Lane Taylor is hurt. Mike McCarthy obviously has plenty of time to, to think about this with with the medical staff uh, treating Taylor. McCarthy decides to go for it, 
even with both of his starting guards out of the game, and the fact that they hadn't converted a third down in about two and a half hours, he decides to go for the first down rather than basically running the ball and playing for overtime. I asked McCarthy why yesterday, and here's what he said. We had time to talk about it. Aaron came over, and the suggestion was to just let it run down and go to overtime. But actually, Alex Van Pelt and I, and Van Pelt being the quarterback's coach, but actually, Alex Van Pelt and I said, let's take a shot at it. You can see he didn't break him out of the huddle immediately, so he kind of played it where we were not going to give them a whole time or give them the whole time on the clock if we didn't convert. But with that, the protection, the route combination, and really Jordy setting that angle where Aaron can throw him open, and it's obviously a great throw. Just execution, and I think the biggest play was, like we've talked about, not only after the completion of the play, but just getting it all coordinated, making sure we had 11 and getting Aaron taking the play clock down there to three seconds, and then setting it up for Mason's two kicks. You know, I talked about this with Keith in our post-game podcast on Sunday night. I wouldn't have had the guts to do that. You know, I know McCarthy gets a lot of grief about time management, and, you know, he's a few times this year, he's called timeouts at the end of the first half, baking on his defense, making a stop, only for his defense to get just destroyed for like a 90-yard touchdown drive. It's probably happened three or four times where McCarthy's played in percentages correctly and it's backfired on him. Well, I don't know if McCarthy played in percentages correctly on this one. Um, I would have I'd have played it for overtime. I'd, I'd have thrown a, a safe play. I'd have thrown a screen to Montgomery or something. A play that you're going to complete so you can keep that clock running or, or at least force the Bears to call a timeout. And, you know, I, I run a screen and maybe Montgomery makes a couple guys miss like he had been all game, and you somehow get a first down and you keep it going. I would not have had the guts to call a flat-out pass play on 3rd and 11 with the hopes of actually uh, picking up the first down. McCarthy did, and Rodgers completes it for 60 yards and the first down. We had a cool video up at Packer Report, too. Um, the, NFL sends us, the NFL sends us a bunch of videos that we can run, and one of them is their next-gen stats. It's like a 20-second video, and it shows... Just how far Rodgers threw that pass to Nelson. It was like 60 yards in the air, too. Um, a, a great pass. And, you know, Rodgers doesn't have much of a, a late game clutch history. I mean, it's, that's basically been pretty well documented over the years that, you know, he, he, you know, like Matthew Stafford this year has got like eight fourth quarter comebacks. Well, Rodgers does not. But that was a hell of a play. And, and, and like what McCarthy said, it, it wasn't just that. It was the wherewithal to, okay, you completed the play. You got Lane Taylor coming back in the field. You turn around and tell Lane Taylor to get off the field. You hustle the guys up. But then do it, also do it with the calm, too, that you don't get a penalty for a false start or something. So, you look, look, they had plenty of time. I, I don't think it was like this superhuman effort by the offense to get set. But, you know, Rodgers kept him calm. They ran the clock down, and then he, and then he clocked it. So that was a, an all-around great play by Riders and company. The other thing on offense, obviously, is a play of Ty Montgomery. And, you know, I wrote a story about this at Pack Report yesterday, too. This kind of, to me, mirrors James Starks in 2010. If you think back, Starks was a rookie running back, had hardly played at all in the regular season. Then the playoffs come, and James Starks becomes this X-factor for the Packers, and they end up winning the Super Bowl. You know, Ty Montgomery has been playing running back here for a while, but he hadn't really gotten a full complement of carries until Sunday, and obviously he runs to the Bears. 
According to my count, and I talked about this in a podcast, according to my count, he forced 10 missed tackles. I've been doing missed tackle stats for five years. That's the most, you know, I took a quick look through my notebooks and I'm missing a couple games too. I remember forgetting my notebook a couple times and using scrap paper and I couldn't find those. But I remember I, I, I did find one game where Eddie Lacy broke 12. But in the other 80-ish games that I've been doing this for, well, heck, it's more than, more than eight, yeah, about 80 games, um, I, I hadn't found a single running back breaking 10 tackles. In fact, most games you don't break 10 tackles. So Montgomery broke 10. But my count, 148 yards after contact. And an unbelievable day in that uh, Montgomery story that I mentioned. Uh, pro football focus after every game sends us a bunch of notes from, from their uh, from their stats. And one of those, showing just how good of a player Montgomery's been. Since Montgomery took over a role in the backfield back in week seven, he's perfect in pass protection. No sacks. No hits, no hurries. Now, he doesn't protect a whole lot. I mean, he generally gets out in the route. But when he's had to block, he's held up. And Montgomery, and Montgomery, McCarthy talks all the time about three down running backs. And that means not only running the ball and catching the ball, but you've got a block. Well, he's done pretty well. So, he, he's. I mean, it was an unbelievable game. One of the best games from a running back that I can remember seeing. You know, also had a great game. Left tackle David Bakhtiari. He's like an impenetrable force. I mean, he goes up against the Bears' Leonard Floyd. Floyd had two sacks in the first game. Floyd didn't get in the zip code on Rodgers on Sunday. Bakhtiari was tremendous. I, you know, I was re-watching the broadcast yesterday. Um, Fox's uh, analyst, John Lynch, said he thought Bakhtiari was playing the best of any left tackle in football. Now, I have absolutely no idea if Lynch has actually gone back to watch every game from every left tackle all year. Um, but... It's hard to argue. You know, again, I, I, I certainly haven't gone back and watched left tackles either. I just know what I see from Bakhtiari, and, and he's been terrific week after week after week after week. Now, maybe someone's out there playing better than he is. I, like I said, I, I have no idea. I'm not going to lie to you. But, you know, this has kind of been the saddest quote from Bakhtiari. Is he, he just shuts guys out. And one other thing here before we turn to the defense. Jordy Nelson, obviously a big game. Devonta Adams, obviously a terrible game. With the two touchdown drops. Randall Cobb shut out. And Cobb hadn't been shut out in a regular season game since December 2011. That's his rookie year. Um, he'd been shut out one other time previous. That was the playoff game against Arizona last year when he got hurt early in the game. So, But that's a great sign, right? When two of your best players give you absolutely nothing. In fact, probably cause more harm than good. And you can still find a way to win, find a way to win a football game with you know with Nelson and Montgomery and Jared Cook and Kristen Michael. I think that's a great sign. I mean, it, it's easy, or it's easier to win games when your star players play like star players. It's a lot more difficult and a lot more telling of where you are as a team when you can win games without star production from your star players. And that takes us to third down and a look at the defense. What is Siri or to me? What a difference! Three series make. So Green Bay's up twenty-seven to ten. In Chicago's previous four seasons or four series, they had five first downs and four turnovers. At that point, you're thinking, "Wow!" I mean, you go back; they've given up thirteen at Philly, thirteen at Houston, ten to Seattle. All of a sudden, you're thinking, 
This defense is a juggernaut. I mean, maybe not like 2010 juggernaut where they just destroyed practically everybody on the way to the Super Bowl, but you're thinking, wow, they've got everything fixed. And then wham, touchdown drive of 75 yards. Touchdown drive of 78 yards. And then the Bears are almost, then the Bears are three yards away from a touchdown drive of 79 yards and the go-ahead touchdown. Then finally, they, they, finally they step up. We went over this on the, on the podcast yesterday, and you probably remember the whole sequence there. First and goal from the three. First play, Julius Peppers forces a holding penalty. Moves him back 10 yards. The Bears complete a pass to the net, a nine-yard gain to the four. So second and goal from the four. Jordan Howard gets the ball. Safety Kentrell Bryce comes in on a blitz and stops him at the three. Sets up third and goal at the three, and then Micah Hyde steps in front of a pretty decent pass by Barkley. Gets the pass deflection. They force a field goal, and of course, the rest is history. Demarius Randall gets benched. And Randall played a horrible game, and this is just as this is the number one thing going forward here is Demarius Randall. First touchdown of the game, he gets absolutely run over. And he's you know, since he's come back from that from that uh, groin injury, he's basically had no interest in, in tackling people. And 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 you know, I, I go back to last year and the start of this year where you liked him because he was a safety in college and he, and he wasn't afraid to go hit people. He was a pretty good tackler. I mean, they put him in the slot frequently enough, and, and, the, and the slot defender has to tackle. He's basically an extra extra run game defender if he's not playing the pass. So you love that toughness about him. I mean, he just hit, just doesn't have that. I mean, he popped the guy in the first play of the game on, on Sunday. And I remember he popped, uh, I think, Doug Baldwin on the first play of that Seattle game. But, man, he is just bowing out of, out of, of that. So he gets run over on the first touchdown of the game. The Bears basically come on the same play on the second position of the third quarter. And he gets and he gets basically run over again. Then he gets up the touchdown to Jeffrey on a slant. And openly he gets benched. Um, I asked McCarthy about um, the decision yesterday. Here's what McCarthy said. I think we, when we sit down and watch the tape with them, there's things that we'll learn from. There's times where you want coverage. There's a reason why you have alignments and assignments and everything on offense, defense, and special teams. We need to be more detailed. So it's not just the lack of tackling. I mean, the, the, you're talking assignment errors, right? And alignment errors. I mean, that's that's mental. I mean, physical. You know, Roger says this all the time. Physical errors are going to happen. You accept those because no one's perfect physically. But it's the mental errors you can't accept. So, you know, he gets benched. And he is the key to this all, right? I mean, he's your first round pick last year. I mean, it'd be great if he played like a first round pick. That that would be. That would be fantastic, but if nothing else, your first-round pick has to play in a close game, right? I mean, in a must-win game, your first-round pick can't have his butt on the bench for lining up wrong. I mean, that is just, that's horrible. You know what? He had two interceptions the week before, and he's, he's played a lot of good football in his brief time here. But if these guys are going to actually make a, a run here in January and, and, the one, and win the games against good opponents... And win the games against good quarterbacks. You need him to play, and you need him to play well. Having your first round pick on the bench of a must win game against a red hot quarterback, and you're about ready to um, poop away a 17 point lead in the fourth quarter. Man, that is unacceptable.
And the rest of the if you look at the rest of the defense, you know, other than Hyde, you know, cornerback Larius Gunter played pretty well. Safety Clinton, haha, Clinton Dix at the two picks. I mean, otherwise, big picture wise, I mean, there, I mean, there's just nothing here. The D line did nothing. You know, outside linebackers without Nick Perry, and basically without Clay Matthews, they did nothing with the giant asterisk of, of Julius Peppers' sack strip. You know, other than inside linebacker Joe Thomas knocking the decal off of Kadeem Carey's helmet, you know, the inside linebackers didn't do much either. You know, the, corner, the corners let Matt Berkeley go crazy. You know, um, Quentin Rollins had played a, a pretty sizable series of good games for him, and he didn't play well either. Can you possibly win a big game in January like that? You know, Matt Barkley's not bad. But, you know, Elshon Jeffries is really the only guy in the passing game that you care about. You know, at, at this rate, if Green Bay is number four, the number four seed as a division winner. The Giants are going to be number five, probably. We know Eli Manning's history against the Packers in the postseason, and the Giants are red hot. Eli Manning is a different guy than he was when Green Bay beat him here back in October. I mean, I mean let's be honest, right? There's almost no way... I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's almost no way Green Bay can beat the Giants in the playoffs with that secondary. They have to play better. Quinton Rollins has to play better. Demarius Randall has to play. Well, he has to play, but he has to play a lot better. And if they can't, this will be a great story, the second half running of the playoffs, but it's all going to be meaningless come, what, January 7th or 8th. So it's the, these guys, it's time to shape up, or the Packers will be shipping out. And finally, fourth down, um, the special teams, this will be brief because not a whole lot to talk about. Other than Mason Crosby game-winning field goal, he hasn't had many of those in his career. I went back, and don't quote me on this. Don't, okay? don't quote me on this. I could be wrong. I went back. I, I used pro football references, game logs. And they're a bit flawed, too. Um, this, this actually all started when, when Rob Reichel from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and Packers Plus asked me if I had, had a list of Mason Crosby's game winners, and, and I didn't. So I went to Pro Football Focus and went to their team game finder and, and sent him the link and said, I think, I think this will get you what you need. And he comes back and said, well, this doesn't include the miss at Washington. Um, back during his rookie year, he, I think he missed a, was it 53 yards off the upright? And he missed, I think, a 53-yarder against Minnesota, too, at one point. I think I think Reichel pointed out. So I, I took the pro football focus data, the, uh, Rob Reichel's really good memory, and by my estimation, Crosby was 5-for-9 in his career on field goal attempts in a three-point game or less with two minutes or less left in regulation or in overtime. So he's 5 out of 9, and that includes the miss hit against Detroit last year at Lambeau Field. So he comes and hits the game winner, a 32-yarder. You, you, you like to say chip shot, but he, he barely made a 30... Was it, it might have been 32 yards as well, too, back in the first half. You remember that knuckleball he hit? And on a cold day, and you know that, that wasn't a gimme. So he makes, he makes one, but the Bears call timeout. So he redo it again and hits another one. So a rare... Game-winning clutch field goal by Crosby. You know, it's kind of like Aaron Rodgers. It's it's like the Aaron Rodgers comeback stat. It's it's not an Aaron Rodgers stat per se. It's not a Mason Crosby stat per se. It's a team-wide stat where too often over the years these guys have not come through in the clutch. 
Well, they certainly did on Sunday, obviously. Punting-wise, Jake Shum, for the first time in a while, was actually out-kicked. But he picked a real good time for a real good punt. The Packers' last punt of the game, he backed up to the Bears to their 21. So that, that was pretty clutch there. Um, the coverage units were fine. Uh, Green Bay's kickoff return, poor, to be kind. Five returns, a 15.6-yard average. A lot, of, a lot of Ty Montgomery um, jogging, trying to find something to run through and then basically taking what's there. Not a very good day by the kickoff return unit. And you know what? Most of the days this year had not been good days for the kickoff return unit. But, again, I'm telling you, this time of year, any play you can make is a bonus. But as long as you do not screw up the game, to me, that is a victory on special teams this year. Because it's easy to screw up a game this time of year. The fields are garbage. I mean, imagine, I mean, if, if you're from around here, you know what it's like. I mean, try walking through a try walking through a parking lot, right? So, you know, compare that to a possibly icy and slick field. You're covering a kickoff. You start running at your 30. And you run basically, you know, 40 yards downfield, 45 yards. 50 yards on the field, then you have to try to slow down and break down and get yourself positioned for a tackle. So try running and stopping on a slick field and not falling on your butt. To me, that's special teams play this time of year. Just don't lose the game. You know, come in, come in under control and make the tackle. You know what, if you make the tackle at the 20 like the Bears did, great. If you make the tackle at the 30, that's fine too. Just don't fall on your butt or don't get out of the position and let the guy, you know, get off to the races. So, by estimation, was it a good day for Green Bay special teams? No, but it was good enough. And that will do it for this episode of Locked On Packers. Thank you, as always, for listening. I would not be here without you. In fact, right now, I'd be in bed. So, have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.